0: Would you grab your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 33? As you take your Bible and open up to Psalm 33, or you take your device and you navigate to Psalm 33, I want to invite you to stand with me as I read God's Word. Would you stand with me as you hold God's Word in your hand in your Bible or your device looking at God's Word? Read along with me in your mind silently as I read aloud. Follow with me Psalm 33, verse... 12 through 22. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army, no warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, today as we celebrate our freedom, that we've been given at a high cost of sacrifice of life, first and foremost, Lord, we thank you for the great love you had for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's in the death of you, Jesus, that... We can experience freedom from sin and life in you. Lord, we also thank you today for those who have given their lives to protect the freedom to worship you. The freedom, Father, that you first gave to us. We acknowledge today, Lord, that every good gift is from you. So, Lord, hear my heart today. We lift you up. We put you in first place. And may we not only honor those who gave their lives to help us have freedom to do so, but Lord, help us see that you are calling us to give up our lives for you as well. Amen and amen. You may be seated. This morning I want to talk to you about the American dream. In 1630, John Winthrop, an early American Colonists had a dream for this country that it would be emerge that it would emerge as a light for Christ to all of the world. That was the original American dream. His dream was that we could be a city on a hill that would cast a light for all to see the light of Jesus Christ. That was his American dream. Three hundred years later, in nineteen. 19- 63, Dr. Martin Luther King shared his electrifying dream that we would be a country marked by equality and justice and unity. Forty some odd, fifty some odd years later, in 2010, Steve Jobs shared his dream that every American would own an iPhone. I think Apple's doing pretty good in the last five years on making good on their American dream. Some think about the American dream of The dream of abundance, offering this cornucopia of material goods to all Americans, making them proud to be the richest society on earth. For some, that's the American dream. Others, the American dream is this dream of freedom for them to choose with its ever-expanding variety of goods, allowing people to fashion their own particular lifestyle. It's the dream to do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it, however you want to do it. For them, that's the American dream. I don't know what you think of when you think of the American dream, but Matthew Warshaw said it this way. Traditionally, Americans have sought to realize the American dream of success and fame and wealth through thrift and hard work. However, the industrialization of the 19th and 20th centuries began to erode the dream, replacing it with a philosophy of get rich quick. A variety of seductive but elusive strategies have Evolved and today the three leading ways to instant wealth are large prize television game shows, big jackpot state lotteries, and compensation lawsuits. That's the American dream. This is the way that Matthew Warshaw puts it. The idea of the American dream, I suggest, today has fallen on hard times from a desire to be the light of Jesus Christ for the world, a desire to lift up justice and equality and unity, to this idea or some ideal that the American dream is to have a spouse, 2.5 kids, a house, two cars, and a dog. Heaven forbid, maybe a cat. That would be a bad thing. Sorry, cat people. To some, it has become a dream of what I can get, or what I can keep, or what I really deserve. But today I want to share with you an American dream, but not just any American dream, uh, what I believe is a godly American dream. But before I do so, I feel the need to acknowledge that many of us today have already already had some strong reactions and feelings. For some, whenever they hear the church talk about America, they just love, love, love it. They love it. They can't get enough of it. And yet for others, they just hate, hate hate it. I want to say to you today that depending on the circumstances, each group could and should be warranted for their strong feelings. Both groups could be right depending on what is happening. So let me clarify. First and foremost, it's important to know that when we gather together, we gather to worship Jesus Christ alone. Amen? He is our Lord and King. He is our Master. No one else. When we gather together we are to lift up the name of jesus christ and to fulfill the great commission that he has given to us and to lift up praise to him lift up our thanksgiving to him and lift up our petitions to him if we love it when we talk about america because we think that god loves us and we are the best people on the planet friend i want to suggest we've totally missed the point if that's why you love it when we talk about america But if we love it because when we honor our veterans because of their sacrifice, protecting our freedom to worship Christ, then we are praising and thanking God. And according to James, in the Bible, that is a good and godly thing. You see, it's the selfless sacrifice of men and women that have given us, through the attitude of Jesus Christ, of putting others before themselves, allowing us to worship freely like we are here today, and that is worthy to thank God for. It's worthy to be so humbly in awe of what God has blessed us with. When we talk about America like I am today, I want you to know it's because we are to pray for her and to thank God for the blessings He has lavished upon her. We also, as we remember the sacrifice that others have made, we are to take note today that we also are called to make the same sacrifice. You may not know it, but you are called to give up your life so someone else can have the freedom to know Jesus Christ. You may not be in the United States military, but you as a Christian are in the army of the Lord. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 16... If you try to save your life, you will surely lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, Jesus says, you will truly find it. For those who hate it when the church talks about America, well, if the church is lifting up country above Christ, then I say we should hate it. God is first and we worship Him alone. However, for those who are quick to hate it, let me ask you this very important question. Why do we like it when our kids sing in church? Why do we like it when we see our kids parade up front with palm branches on Easter Sunday morning? Is it because we are so proud of our kids and their talents? Is it because we are just so enamored with how cute they are? You see, for many, we will do just about anything for our children. For some, these parents can worship their kids They put their kids above Christ in their life, and we too should hate that as well. See, patriotism can be Christ-centered or self-centered, just like our love for our kids can be. But at Grace Point, we love seeing our kids participate in church because we are witnessing them participating and worshiping Jesus. Mom and Dad, your kids are talented. Your kids are cute, but way more important than that, when we see your kids participating and worshiping Jesus Christ, it is exciting to us because He is the focus of why we gather. While we should hate lifting anything above Jesus, it's very clear biblically for us to pray for our nation. It's clear that God desires nations to acknowledge and to honor Him as a nation. We just read Psalm 33 and in verse 12 it starts, blessed is the nation who... Whose God is the Lord? I think maybe for some of us, our strong reaction one way or the other may be a byproduct of our diversity. We as Americans, we're different. Even in this room, we are different. A recent study asked this question. The question was Would you define yourself as patriotic? Of the Americans aged 60 and older, 77% of them defined themselves as patriotic. Americans age 50 to 59, it was 67% of them who defined themselves as patriotic, 10% less than the category above. Americans age 35 through 49, there was 44% of them who defined themselves as patriotic. Now we drop 23%. Of Americans 18 to 34 years of age, only 35% defined themselves as patriotic. It appears that for a number of reasons, patriotism is somewhat waning. And it's for a number of different reasons that we view our nation differently. And if I had time today, I would like to talk about that. But that's not the focus of where I think God is taking me. But I share that with you because I don't call attention to America today to worship her or to lift her up. But I call attention to America today to lift her up to the one that we worship, Jesus Christ. Hear me today, friend. As I talk about America, it's not that my American dream has invaded my faith. It's quite the opposite. My faith in Jesus Christ, my first love for Jesus, has invaded my heart for my nation, for my country, for my home, for my family. And I think we need to ask the question, how can I really be transformed by Jesus Christ and not have a heart like many of the founders of our nation had a heart for God? Now there would be some in our culture who would take issue with that statement that they would argue that our nation's founding fathers did not have such a relationship with Jesus or with God. But I think possibly some of this disagreement only lends itself to see that Americans not only differ in their views of patriotism, but Americans differ in their religious belief. According to the Pew Foundation, a study that was done on June fourth, 2014, almost a year ago to today, It tells us that 70.6% of Americans self-identify as a Christian. Now, I'm confident that this study had a loose definition of Christian. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't define it the way that I would define a Christian or maybe the way you would define a Christian. But but the point is over 70% of Americans self-identified as some type of a Christian. 5.9% of Americans self-identify as a non-Christian faith of some kind, like Muslim or Buddhist or, or Hindu. 22.8% of Americans self-identified as some kind of other, unaffiliated, like an atheist or an agnostic or an undecided. And my favorite group of this lot, 0.7%, just under 1%, said they don't know and they don't want to answer. That's kind of honest. I like that. Even though our country started as a Christian country, it is obvious to us that we are made up of people who have different beliefs. And while this is evident in our stats, and we see that this is the state in which we are at, it would be grossly unfair and wildly inaccurate to say that this country did not start on Christian principles. Listen to a few of these quotes. Patrick Henry, revolutionary general, legislator, ratifier of the U.S. Constitution, governor of Virginia, Virginia. Patrick Henry is credited with saying... It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not by religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's pretty straightforward, that's pretty clear. Well, what about George Washington, our first president of the United States? He's credited with saying it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of God Almighty, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly implore His protection and favor. He also has gone on to say it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. George Washington, our first United States president, shared these thoughts. Or John Adams, President of the United States, signer of the Declaration of Independence, signer of the Bill of Rights, says these words, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and I now believe that these general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. Yet it appears that there are those among us in our culture who appear to have an agenda to revise history, to strike from the record these references to God in a clear early Christian identity. You see, our founding fathers, they didn't start with this great love of their country and then try to squeeze God into it somewhere. It's the opposite. They had such a great love for God that the dream of their country was so that they could put God first, not their country or their or anybody else. It was the dream to have the freedom to put God first and worship Him and that all mankind could do the same. We begin to see that their heart cry was a very different American dream than some have today. So what is this godly American dream that's on my heart to share with you? It comes in four quick parts. The first one is this a godly American dream that I believe God has for us today. The first is to have freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. This is an important distinction. Over 70% of Americans self-identify as Christians. They say they're a Christian. Then why in the world are we back on our heels? Are we cowering in defensive posture? Why are we marginalized? I think this is an important question for us. Our country was founded on religious freedom and and we see this protection in the Constitution which clearly had an intention to communicate that there would not be an established church or an established denomination for the nation, but yet it was freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. In other words, it's freedom to worship God the way He is calling you to worship Him. It's not freedom away from worshiping God. See, I believe that God has a dream, not just for Americans, but for all of his kids to have freedom to worship him. Friend, this freedom, it's not just an American thing. This is a God thing. 2 Corinthians 3.17 tells us, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God is the author of freedom. Now, we begin to see in our tribe, in our nation, in our family, there's been this cycle that takes place. It's not been a good cycle, but it's not a new cycle to the face of the earth. Unfortunately, the comforts and affluence of the 1950s led to the emptiness, the rebellion, and confusion of the 1960s. And in spite of our great wealth, we became somewhat spiritually bankrupt as a nation. This cycle can be seen and referenced in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. It says, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Now the cycle would swing back. In the 1970s, there was a great awakening among young people that was eventually referred to as the Jesus movement. Many of you lived through that and witnessed that. It would bring great life to the church. It ignited a new wave of musical expression in our worship services. And it paved the way for great cooperative ministries that would lead its way to things like promise keepers. And cooperative mission projects like World Vision or Compassionate International. But it didn't take long for the so-called Jesus movement, to lose its focus off of relationship with Jesus and it quickly became about other things and it began to drift from its original cause. Then we begin to see the majority of evangelicals in the next few decades become enamored with politics and power and somewhere along the way they traded in their fire for relationship with Jesus for the fire burning in their heart that their rights were not represented. Something shifted and changed. Now there's always been people who sought to fight against the work of God. Psalm chapter Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one. It's obvious that we see a group of people in our midst today who seem very committed to abolish religious freedom from every public and corporate setting. Ultimately, there has always been a conflict between light and dark. So, so what do we do? Where, where, is, where is our hope? Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I believe, friend, that God has a dream for us. He longs for us to trust Him as a nation, not trusting our own power or our own strength. I challenge you, friend, would you join me in lifting up our nation to the one we worship, Jesus Christ. The second part of what I believe is a godly American dream is this call to moral courage, not moral compromise. There's a place for compromise. How many of you are married? And you're married. There's a place for compromise. If not, oh, I bet your house is a lot of fun. There's a place for compromise. Now, something better than compromise in marriage is servanthood, but that's a whole other sermon. But compromise can be good. But compromise is never good in the arena of moral issues. We are never to compromise on moral issues. And God, I believe, has a dream for us as a people to not compromise on Him, not compromise on what He has called us to do and what He has called us to be. We see this in Acts chapter 19. I won't read this passage. You see that there on the screen. It's in your outline. You can read this later. But what's happening is Paul was leading so many people to Christ, it was messing up the businesses around. This is exciting. And there was this guy who would make these idols, these trinkets, these figures that people could worship and would talk about the power that they would have, and, and yet so many people were coming to Jesus, and this Christianity was messing up his business of selling these idols So there became this political pressure for Paul to stop saying that these idols had no power. In essence, they asked him to lay off that point. In other words, preach Jesus, sure, but don't say the idols are powerless. That, like, drives sails down. Don't do that. Talk about Jesus, but don't talk bad about the idols. And Paul would not compromise. His passion for Jesus did not allow him to compromise. I'm convinced today that God has a dream not only for America, but for all of His kids to have moral courage and not to compromise. Abraham Lincoln is credited with saying, freedom is not the right to do what we want, but the right to do what we ought. Do you get that today? When we celebrate our freedom, when we honor those who died for our freedom, it's not so we can get what we want. That's not at all what our founding fathers were about. It's so we can have the freedom to do what is right, to do what is right in the eyes of God. You see, a godly American dream celebrates freedom to lift him up in first place. The third part of this godly American dream I want to share with you today is the call to serve others' needs and not our own interests. Now, i, I got to warn you, this really messes up some of our ideas of the American dream. It, it just it messes the whole thing up. But I believe this is a part of God's dream for our nation, that we would serve others' needs, not our own interests. Now, while it may mess up some of our understanding in our culture of the American dream, I think that John Winthrop's dream for this country to emerge as a light for Christ would embrace this dream. I think that Dr. King's dream that there would be a country marked with Equality and justice and unity would embrace this dream of serving others' needs, not our own interests. But more important than those thoughts is what God's Word has to say about this. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others' too. Now, as I was praying last night, the Lord brought this to my mind. For some of us, we love to sing America the Beautiful in church. We love it. And I've talked to some of you who just been real honest with me. You hate it when we sing America the beautiful in church. But let me share with you why I think it's fitting and I like to sing America the beautiful in church. It's because not that it's some great Americana of music or that you like the tune or song. That's a bad reason to sing any song in church. If we want to sing a song because we like it, or it's just, that's not of great importance. Who cares what I like or what you like? It's what does God think about this? So let me talk to you about the lyrics of this song. Before you think this song is so prideful or so boastful, listen more closely this time to the lyrics of America the Beautiful. The second verse sings this way. Oh, beautiful for pilgrim feet, who stern in stress. Beautiful, stern in stress. What? What is this talking about? A thoroughfare of freedom beat across the wilderness, America, America. Now don't miss this. God, mend thine every flaw. This is in essence a cry: God, we are flawed. We are messed up. We need you. We are torn. The songwriter goes on, "Confirm thy soul in self-control." A prayer saying, "God, we need you to give us self-control." Thine liberty in law, not self-control in our own eyes, but but freedom in in law. The third verse, "Oh, beautiful for heroes proved in liberating strife." That that struck me, liberating, free freedom freeing strife, hardships or pain. What's so liberating or freeing about hardship and pain? What's so freeing about that? Let, let's go on in the song. Who more than self, their country loved. Loving something more than yourself? What is this about? Till all, excuse me, uh, loving, uh, more, loving more than self, their country loved, and mercy more than life. You mean they loved mercy more than they loved their life? America, America. May God thy gold refine. Now this is the heart. God, would you refine our resources? In essence, would you chisel away at us until we, what? Till all success is nobleness. God, would you refine us? Would you chisel away at us of our idea of what success is until our idea of success is noble, until it is right in your eyes and every gain divine, the lyric says. Refine us until all our gain is divine, until it is godly, until it is like you. So what's so beautiful about America to this songwriter? Is it that we are better than everyone else? I don't think that's what's at their heart. The countryside of amber waves of grain and purple mountains seeing God's majesty. Yeah, I think there's some there of God's creation. But over and over throughout this song is the fingerprints of selflessness, which is only possible through Jesus Christ it's a cry of humility that expresses our need for God to shape us and to change us. Friend, I can't think of a more critical time for us to cry out for God to help us be selfless than now. I can't think of a more critical time for us to cry out and ask God to help redefine what we think success is than now. I'm going to give You have an opportunity to study these next two verses that I wish I had more time to go over today But I want to move on to the fourth and final thought of this godly american dream I thank god for the men and women who gave their lives so we could worship jesus today And I believe that jesus has a dream for us and this is the most important part of the dream It's a dream that we would have a spiritual awakening not political control Now don't misunderstand me today friend. We have a responsibility to vote We have a responsibility to stand up for Christ in every arena of life. I believe that with all of my heart. But I'm convinced that God is dreaming for us. He is longing for us to have a spiritual awakening, not political control. Okay, so I get what you're saying, Brady. You're saying that Christians should not organize politically around any issues. That's not at all what I'm saying. Okay, so what you're saying is that there should never be a moral majority in our leadership. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I believe that God knows that if we would have an authentic spiritual awakening, we begin to see that He is in control and we are not in control. Just imagine with me, this 70 plus percent of Americans who on their own self-identify as some kind of a Christian, imagine if they would have an authentic spiritual awakening. We would not have to talk about a moral majority. Jesus tells us in John 18, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Now listen to the wisdom from Proverbs 14. Godliness makes a nation great. But sin is a disgrace to any people. While we were founded as a Christian nation, that is true. Our sin has disgraced us. And friend, sin hurts and scars anyone no matter who they are. So where is our hope? Psalm 44.3 says, It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring victory. It was your right hand, God, your arm, the light of your face, for you loved them. If I could just say one thing today, if you could only remember one thing, it would be this. A godly American dream focuses not on the American, but on God. Hear me today. Whether you're in the bucket that loves it or hates it when the church talks about America, I challenge you, love it for the right reasons and hate it for the right reasons. Don't just love it because it makes you think about apple pie and baseball and how you like those things better than some other kind of dish and cricket or soccer. That's silliness. But do we love it because we see the good that God has provided in us? Do we love it because we see that there is a call for us to have freedom to put God in His rightful place? If we're in the bucket that hates it, if we begin to see that anyone is calling us to worship a country over God, then sure, hate it. But I challenge you look at all the other arenas of our life that we can elevate above God. And could it possibly be that we are not lifting up America above God, but could we lift America up to the one that we worship in Jesus Christ? Jesus tells us, cast all our cares upon Him. John Stott said it well when he said, We have no liberty to either preserve our holiness by escaping from the world or to sacrifice our holiness by conforming to the world. In other words, this idea that I'm going to keep my faith, this private thing, and my politics in the public arena, and we won't let them pass this a silliness. I am to be in the world, but not of the world. I am to be involved in my, my culture, but not compromise and fall underneath the pressure of my culture. God is calling us to wave His banner loud and strong. And if our heart beats for our country the way our founding fathers did, because of their first love of God and a passion for a country that would allow others to put him first, then it can be healthy. If it's an idea that we love our country so much and we try to squeeze God into it as some footnote, then we can miss the whole point of those who sacrifice so much that allows us to be here today. In closing this morning, there's some that I think in our rightful understanding of standing up in every arena for Christ we fall into some pitfalls, some dangers, and I want to give four quick things to be careful of. It's not for everybody, but it's for some. For some, there's a danger to rely too heavily on political influence. Now, you've already heard me say that we should be involved in speaking up for Christ, but if we are too heavily involved in political influence, we begin to think that the great need is political, but, friend, the great need is spiritual. There is a moral bankruptcy, a spiritual bankruptcy that only God can heal. There's a danger to some to be overly enamored with politics. For some, that becomes what they serve to all ends. The caution for us is there's nothing to be gained if we win an election and yet lose our very own soul in the process. Can we keep the fire of our relationship with Jesus first and foremost? And then anything we talk about in our country and how we vote is because of our passion for Jesus, not the other way around? A danger for some is to drown out and demonize voices of others. You may not like it, but Jesus tells us that we are to love and to respect our opponents, even our enemies. A danger for some is while the temptation may not be to respect the political viewpoint of others that different from them, we can stand strong, not compromise, have courage, but respect and listen and pray for those who are in delegated authority over us. While I'm indebted to some resources from the Pew Resource Research Foundation and Ron Salisbury and David Kinneman today and some of this material, I'm greatly indebted to the truth from God's Word that I shared at the beginning in Psalm 33. Listen again. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. The people He chose for His inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From His dwelling place He watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those who hope is in His unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Listen to verse 20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in You. As we close this morning, I challenge you, church. Could you allow this Memorial Day for whatever you have planned? Could you allow Jesus to be the most important thing that we celebrate? I don't know what you do on Memorial Day, whether it's full of patriotism or barbecues and bicycles. What if in the good that we see, like James tells us, we could look for anything that's truly good and anything that is really good is a gift from God and we could bring praise and glory to Him. Loving our kids is a good and godly thing. Worshiping our kids is not. Loving our vacation time with our family in days like you're going to have tonight and tomorrow is good, but worshiping that is not. As we are committed here at Grace Point... We have been and will continue to lift up Jesus Christ. And no one above Jesus, would you join with me this weekend in praying for our nation, for our family, for our tribe, and lifting up America to the one that we worship. And say, Jesus, would you call us back to you? Your word tells us, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Would you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we've celebrated our freedom today that has been given at the high cost of the sacrifice of life. And as we put first and foremost, we thank you, God, for the great love that while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us. And your death on the cross, Jesus, it's only through that we experience the freedom from sin and life in you. And so, Lord, we thank you today for that freedom. I thank you today, Lord, for those who took on your attitude of a selflessness and laid down their life so that we could live, laid down their life so that we can have the freedom to put you first and worship you. Lord, we acknowledge this freedom that they have given their life to protect is the freedom that you first gave to us. We acknowledge it is a good and perfect gift from you. Hear our heart today, Lord. We lift you up. We put you in first place. And may Lord we not only honor those who have given their lives, but Lord, would you help us to see that you are calling each of us in this room to lay down our life for you the way down you the way you've laid down your life for us? It's in your powerful and precious name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. May God